Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Hey everybody, welcome to week two of the Search for the Spirit-Filled Life. Now, if you missed week one, no problem. We have an amazing uh, video for you of last week's service on our website at discoverhope.org messages where you can catch up. So go ahead and head back there. It's only 20 minutes long um, and you can definitely be caught up on everything we're doing. But today we're going to be in Acts 2. So if you have a Bible at home, a paper Bible, a Bible that's online, go ahead and turn to Acts 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. No, 13. Sorry. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 today. Um, and we're going to talk about what it looked like for the Holy Spirit to come the first time. Now, keep in mind that there are places in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit um, empowers people or comes over people or comes beside people. But this is the first time in the biblical record that it actually talks about the Holy Spirit filling or coming into people. And so um, we're going to look at what happened this very first time. Now, there will be subsequent baptisms that happen in Acts, and we'll study each of those as they come, but this was the very first one. So as we look at the details of this first time that the Holy Spirit came and immersed a group of people on earth, we just want to be taking note of like what was happening, who was there, how did God move, what was the posture of the people receiving the Holy Spirit as we search for the Spirit-filled life ourselves. So um, verse 1 starts out, and it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost is uh, a Jewish festival. Penta means 50, and um, it was 50 days after Passover that Pentecost would happen. Okay? Um, it's meant to celebrate the giving of the Torah, or the five books of the law, uh, to the Israelites after they had been freed from Egypt. So the, the understanding was that the Israelites had been freed from Egypt on Passover, and that 50 days later, seven weeks later... And one day they had been given the law by God so that they would know how to follow him. So on Passover, they were set free. And on Pentecost, they became people who could serve God. Okay. So Jesus's death and resurrection also coincided with Passover weekend. Okay. Jesus died on um, a Sabbath on a Friday night and was resurrected a Sunday morning. So his death and resurrection coincided with Passover weekend being set free and the coming of the Holy Spirit then coincides with Pentecost, okay? Becoming a people who could serve God. So um, that's important to note as we go forward. So this all, this all together in one place would include the disciples, the 11 disciples, um, and those to whom Jesus had shown himself after his resurrection, men and women, about 120 people. We talked about this last week, but um, this would have been about 120 people, men and women, who were um, together praying, waiting for this promise of the Father that Jesus had told them to wait for. And in verse 2, it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a noise, like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And it, it starts out by saying it's from heaven. So we know that this is a supernatural thing that's happening. 
And notice that in, in this, this is the New American Standard Bible. You may have a different translation. It says a noise like a violent rushing wind. And that's important to note because simile is used often in the Bible when describing the supernatural moves of God. It's not saying it was wind. It's saying that wind is the closest, like this violent rushing wind is the closest way we can come to describe what it was like that day. So that's how we give language to these supernatural things that have happened powerful, strong. I'm imagining what it sounds like in my house when there's a really good storm going on outside, which actually there kind of is now. Um, so um, that there's this powerful, strong wind. But then, you know how sometimes you hear a storm so loud that you're like, is my roof still on? You know, like when it really gets going in the fall and winter. Um, imagine that storm, but then the sound of that storm moves inside. And now this, the whole house is filled with this thing that's like a, a heavy rushing wind, a total and complete overcoming, but of the spirit. There is no one waiting and praying who is left out. The whole room is filled with his presence. So it filled the whole house where they were sitting Verse three, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each of them. So tongues as of fire, again, this is simile, trying to describe this phenomenon they were experiencing. They're saying they're these little kind of licks of fire that seem to be distributing themselves on the heads of each person, resting above the heads of each person. So that wind came and filled the whole room then something like little licks of fire rested on each person. And um, there is something here that is so communal, right? The whole room was filled, filled the whole room where they were sitting. But it's also personal that this fire divided itself and distributed itself on each person, which means that here the coming of the Holy Spirit is something everyone experienced together but also there was anointing that each person experienced personally. As the Holy Spirit is coming to this gathering, it's also coming to each person as they seek his presence together. And verse four says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So again, they were filled inside and elsewhere, remember, Jesus says, you'll be clothed with power from on high. So this them being filled is inside. Jesus says they're going to be clothed with the spirit as if outside. And so what I'm picturing is the spirit both filling them and being all around them. And the closest thing I can come to describing that is oxygen. It's like the spirit is filling them up and the spirit is all around them. It's literally like the air that they breathe has become the Holy Spirit. It is in them. It is around them. It is clothing them. And from this filling, they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And um, the giving them utterance word here um, means to speak forth or to speak out or to declare as the, as the Spirit was having them declare. 
as the Spirit was having them speak forth. And remember that Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. That there's something about declaring or preaching or showing who Jesus is that is part of the gospel. And the Spirit is the one enabling them to speak out. So this communal experience of power coupled with the individual infilling and speaking is again this beautiful picture of community, God's presence, his power, his power anointing the whole and anointing the individual. But what's the purpose of this filling and speaking? Okay, because mind you, they are not being they are not speaking these other languages to anyone besides each other at this moment. Everyone there with believes in Jesus. Everyone there with saw him resurrected from the dead. Everyone there with is earnestly seeking the spirit. So why other languages? What is the point of that at this point? I'll tell you, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to us sometimes in our human minds why God moves the way he does. Amen. Okay. So why was God asking them to speak something that they did not understand? It didn't say they understood the language they were speaking. It just says they were speaking another language. And at this point, again, they aren't speaking to the nations who, who will understand them. That's a little bit later. It's just a room full of people speaking a bunch of languages. They don't understand what they're saying or what's being said. They don't know what anyone else is saying. So one of um, my spiritual mentors, Jerry Cook, who's passed away now, says that speaking in tongues, that when the Holy Spirit prompts speaking in tongues, speaking in a language we do not know, that it is a spiritual discipline of offering God control of our mouths, complete and total obedience when we don't even know what we're saying. We're saying, you decide what my mouth says. I don't decide. It is total and utter submission of our mouths to God. That what we say would be in his control and we put our faith in him rather than deciding what we say ourselves. So if you've read James, which we have as a church, and it says the, the tongue is needs to be harnessed, who can control it? Uh, Jerry Cook would say that speaking in tongues is the discipline of allowing God control of your mouth, even when you don't understand. Why would submitting their mouths to God be an important step for the disciples before they were sent out of the room to testify to others about Jesus? Does that make sense? That's the question. Why is it that the first step of being sent to the nations is giving your mouth over to God. I'm not going to answer that question. I'm just going to give you that question. Verse 5 says, Now there were Jews living or staying in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now the men here means plural for men and women. The Greek, in, the Greek they encompasses it all. So these Jews... These devout Jews from every nation had um, come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Okay, do you remember the stories of Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were in Babylon. So when um, God's people had been taken out of Israel hundreds of years before this, they had scattered to every nation of the world and made their home in every nation of the world. But Pentecost was one of the three festivals of pilgrimage 
which means that during Pentecost, Jews from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. So that's how the, what they're describing. Devout Jews from every nation had come so they could worship together. So many of these people were temporarily staying in the holy city of Jerusalem and had gathered to worship God. So Jesus co or God, sorry, coincided the filling of the disciples with the filling of the city with people. People from every nation coming to this one place. His timing is perfect. And you know, it just is like, doesn't there seem to be a lot of coincidences in the kingdom of God? Right? <laughs> like Passover is when the Israelites are set free and then Pentecost is when they become people who can serve him and Jesus died and was resurrected on Passover and then the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost. The disciples being filled while the city's being filled. Man, if when you start seeking the kingdom of God, you just start being like, man, there are a lot of coincidences happening around my life right now. In verse six, it says, so when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in their own language. So apparently the crowd in the city either heard that violent rushing wind sound or heard the voices of 120 people speaking a bunch of languages. Uh, you know, there, there's no such thing as glass windows at this point. So um, privacy was probably at an all-time low. This meant that either the windows, again, like were open or the people in the upper room were being real loud um, or having been filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples went out into the streets and kept on speaking in these tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance to say. So they were, it says, verse seven, they were amazed and astonished saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? It says they were amazed and astonished. So those in the crowd could not comprehend like what was happening, but they were seeing these uneducated kind of like yokels from Galilee. Okay, they are lake people. Okay, these lake people from up north are speaking in their own languages and dialect, the, the language of their birth. And we all know that even if we speak the same English as somebody else, there is a language of your birth, right? That's why they say your mother tongue, because it's like the way your mother speaks to you, right? That first voice you heard, they are hearing in their own language in their own dialect what the disciples are saying as if the disciples themselves were native speakers and had also been born there so all these people are there they're hearing all of them speak in their own language and these are people from everywhere so in verse 9 and 10 he talks about all the different places from which these people hailed he talks about um converts to Judaism and Jews from Egypt, Asia, Italy, island nations, Arabia, just everywhere in the known world that these Jews had come from and all of them hearing these lake people, these fishermen um, speak in their own language. And it says, we hear them, all of them were saying, we hear the disciples in our own language speaking of the mighty deeds of God. 
which tells us that when they were empowered to witness in other languages, in tongues, what they were speaking was praise. What they were speaking was how good God is and how great he is and the faithful things that he had done. And I think that's also a beautiful model for us as we go forward and go on mission, as we are sent, that they had been empowered to praise in a language that people would understand. So this first outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a witness to Judea is not a conversion of people who've never heard God. And this is important, heard, sorry, heard of God. These are people who are already serving God. They're devout. They spent the time and money to leave their home and go on a long journey to be to Jerusalem for this festival of Pentecost. They're hearing the disciples worship God in a language they understand, and they're seeing that God is doing a miracle in these people who have walked with Jesus. So before God sent the disciples to all the nations, he brings all the nations to them. The sign of tongues is a sign to say God is doing something amazing. Perk up and listen. So the tongues were not an end in themselves. The tongues were the segue, were the entry point. This wonder, this miracle is the entry point for what we'll see next week, which is when Peter shares the good news. But the sign and wonder is what gathers the crowd and gets everybody there and shows them that these people who've walked with Jesus have something amazing to share. Okay, The miracle paved the way for open hearts to hear the good news. And in verse 12, it says, and they all, these people hearing, continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, again, people who loved God and saying, they're full of sweet wine or cheap wine or new wine, okay? And I think what's important for us to understand is that there was not, even among those people who were seeing a miracle, and hearing the gospel in their own language from these people who should not know, there wasn't even perfect clarity among those experiencing it, what was happening. People couldn't quite put their finger on it. Some people said, hmm, something's clearly going on. Tell me more, right? There's a curiosity, which is totally the pattern that Jesus set for us in the gospels, that he was kind of saying like, who's curious? Who wants to hear more? And then there are some people who are like weirdos. They're embarrassing themselves. Okay. We've all been probably in both camps. (laughs) When we see God move or see something amazing happen, we're like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Right? And there really is so much happening in this passage. We see the perfect plan of God coming together. The disciples have waited for the promise of the Father that Jesus told them about. And here it comes, coinciding with the nations coming to Jerusalem to hear and see what God is doing, first in Israel and then to all the nations of the earth. The disciples, let's study their posture, because... All we can do, we don't get to dictate how the Holy Spirit moves. All we can do is have our hearts prepared and hungry to see the Holy Spirit move in the way that he will. The disciples seem totally surrendered to God and to what God is doing, to both the Holy Spirit's coming and surrendered to how he chooses to act. So they, not, they don't just want him. They're also willing to surrender to however He wants to move them. The Holy Spirit gives them each languages to speak that they don't understand. 
And this becomes the avenue he uses to witness to Jerusalem. I think that is such an encouragement because it means that we don't have to understand what God is asking us to do for him to use it. In this process, the disciples are surrendered, they're obedient, and now they are empowered to be Jesus' witness. When the Holy Spirit comes, we don't get to decide how he will choose to act, and we don't get to, to, we don't get to decide how others will react to what he's doing in and through us. Our choice is to be watching and waiting for his filling and clothing, to expect it and to be surrendered to his good way when it comes. They were waiting in this room. They were praying, they were fasting, they were staying together and encouraging each other, expectant and hopeful and ready for the Holy Spirit so that when he came, they could be obedient to what he was asking them to do without understanding. They did not understand what they were saying. They did not understand what was happening. They did not understand what they were doing. And yet they did it. And this is how God moved when the Holy Spirit came, that every tribe, tongue, and nation would hear the good news, that we would become his witnesses. So today and this week, as you're in your groups, as you're studying Acts 2, 1 through 13, My prayer is that this would change from a story to something that we deeply, deeply value as a pattern for how we want to follow God. That we would be waiting and watching for the Holy Spirit. That we would be um, preparing ourselves to be filled by him, to be immersed by him, to be clothed by him. And we talked about how the pattern that John and Jesus set out for us on that is to repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness and to be empowered to be his witnesses. And so again, if you have not been water baptized, you would love to do that. The symbol of repentance, the symbol of laying down the old life and coming up into the new one. We'd love to do that with you October 25th if you'd like to be baptized And um, we're going to continue in Acts. We're going to see all the other places where people were filled with the Holy Spirit and moved by the Holy Spirit, the changes that happen in Peter and the disciples as they say yes to his infilling. Um, But with that, I just want to encourage you that really good days are ahead and that um, even when we don't understand what he's doing, we can trust that what he's doing is good. Amen. All right. We'll see you guys here next week. Hi, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Paul, one of the producers of the Land of Hope podcast. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.